At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. 795,000. That's how many people will experience a stroke this year in the U.S. And it's not just people over 60. Young people and strokes on this episode of Baptist Health Talk. Welcome back, Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a practicing preventive cardiologist and lipidologist at the Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute in Baptist Health, South Florida, as well as Chief Population Health Officer at Baptist Health. One of the goals of this podcast is to bring on experts to answer the kinds of health questions my colleagues and I are asked on a daily basis. Today, we're going to talk about strokes. And if you're someone who thinks that strokes are only a problem for old people, well, please listen up. I'll bet you didn't know that the rates of strokes in people 55 and older has actually decreased in recent decades, while at the same time, researchers have found a startling increase in strokes in younger people. I'm talking about people in their mid-30s and mid-40s. What's going on here? and Why is it especially worrisome during this, co- this coronavirus pandemic? Since May is National Stroke Awareness Month, I thought it'd be a perfect time to invite my colleague, Dr. Felipe De Los Rios, to the podcast to talk about some troubling trends when it comes to strokes and to let us all know the signs to look out for. Dr. Delos Rios is a neurologist and the medical director of the stroke program at the Miami Neuroscience Institute, a part of Baptist Health South Florida. With great pleasure, welcome to the podcast, Felipe. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Glad to be here. So a lot to unpack there, as usual with these podcasts, but let's start with the basics. In in layman's terms, what, what's happening to the brain when someone has a stroke? We use the term quite frequently, but maybe people can really benefit from understanding what is a stroke um, and what's happening when people are suffering from a stroke. Sure. So the brain uses blood to function and get its energy, and specific areas of the brain have specific functions. So whenever there's a problem with blood supply, say an artery gets blocked or clogged, then an area of the brain doesn't receive enough energy to function and it starts to not work. And then you can see the effects of that on the person. So for example, not being able to move an arm or speak. If that lack of energy is sustained for too long, then there's permanent damage. And then the person can have disability from from that event and we call that a stroke. So you mentioned um, um, if that lack of blood flow happens too long. Can you speak a little bit before we start talking about the population in general, a lot of the activities that have been done with your leadership and others at Baptist Health towards that that time is brain concept, which is when someone's having a stroke to get taken care of as quickly as possible because Yes, so so time is time is brain like like you said it. Brain survives generally in the range of, of minutes. If there's absolutely no blood flow at all, so it's completely blocked. Uh, the brain doesn't survive too long, um, maybe maybe an hour or so. Uh, thankfully, many times there is some amount of blood going through, maybe through some side channels, and then the brain can survive longer. Uh, in some instances, people can have benefit up to 24 hours after a stroke, uh, but that's not the majority of people. So the sooner that we're able to open that blood flow to that area of the brain, the better the outcome and the less disability or problems the person's going to have from the event. So if someone is at home and they um, recognize something, signs, which we'll talk about, 
or a family member recognizes it because sometimes the patient may not see it. You want them to call fire rescue. You want them to get taken care of as quickly as possible, specifically to preserve the brain and avoid a worsening disability. Um, right. Yeah. And that's the main, the, the key part of all of this is really the, the, the person or most often the family members, the relatives or friends that are with them recognizing that it is actually a stroke. That's the, that's the first most important piece. Many times people, people get delayed coming to the hospital because they felt they were having nothing serious, just maybe slept on their arm or something and then they wait. And that's very valuable time and brain that is lost. So that is absolutely the key part. And then once a stroke is recognized, um, then calling 911 is the way to go because they know which hospitals are able to care for stroke patients. Not every hospital, not every emergency room can care for stroke patients. So going to the right hospital at the first go um, through 911 really saves time. So that 911 call becomes paramount importance. Um, so what would be some of the more common symptoms of a stroke or signs of a stroke? What are the kind of things that you would recommend that someone should then call 911 if they're experiencing? Mm -hmm. So the key hallmark of stroke is sudden, sudden onset of loss of something. So for example, the person was perfectly fine, doing great, and then the next minute they, they can't feel an arm or a leg or they, can't have, they don't have strength. Uh, on one side of their body, uh, or they don't, are not able to see or speak. So, so that is the, the sudden onset of things is really what's a, a key hallmark of stroke. And we use the acronym FAST uh, from the American Heart Association. Um, and it's the F is for face, so face weakness on one side. R, the A is for arm weakness um, on one side. The S is for speech changes. So either the speech is garbled or, or the, the person can't articulate, pronounce the words they don't sound their usual. Uh, and then T is for time, time to call 911. And you only need one of them. So you don't have to have face, arm, and speech. You just need one of them to really start thinking stroke. Um, I'm going to ask you a kind of side question. And again, comes from experience. Um, and maybe you could explain the question. <laughs> in it. How can someone differentiate between a, a paresthesia and a, a stroke, a sudden tingling in an arm or something that's positional versus when it might be a stroke? And, and that can be sometimes tricky. I think the key part, really paresthesias, when you think about it, is a positive symptom, meaning you have tingling. You have a sensation that shouldn't be there. So it's a new thing. Um, usually when stroke, what we have is loss of. So people then feel it's numb. Many will say, like, if they had anesthetic or when they go to the dentist and they don't feel their, their lip, is that similar feeling, but on an entire arm, for example, or arm and leg. And it can get tricky. I mean, we've, had, we've, we've known cases of physicians, neurologists that have a stroke, and then the stroke itself prevents them from understanding that what they're experiencing is, in fact, a stroke. So you really rely on your inner circle, the people that you're with, to know how to recognize one and call 911. Um, so it's good for us to teach those around us how to recognize a stroke. Appreciate that because we do see that in the clinical practices. A lot of times people have that tingling from the arm being up when they're sleeping or something, and they uh, obviously concerned about a stroke, which you still should get checked out if you're Absolutely. concerned. Absolutely. Uh, now let's talk a little a bit about the trends and then related to some things we're reading about in the papers. Um, as we mentioned in the intro, prior to COVID, we started seeing increasing strokes in young patients. Is that something you've been seeing in your, in your, in your role um, at, Baptist, um, at Baptist Health? 
Yes, this is definitely a, a national problem, a world problem. Um, but you might be surprised. About 10% of all strokes happen in people aged 18 to 50 years. So it's not really that uh, uncommon. And what we've been seeing is that it has been increasing over time. So just to put an example, um, from the nationwide inpatient sample, if you look at 1995 to 2012, the rate of hospitalizations for stroke among males 18 to 34 um, has almost doubled, has essentially doubled. Um, and within 35 to 44 years of age, there's been a 41.5% increase. Um, so, I mean, that I think speaks volumes to what we're seeing um, in the hospital. Um, I'm going to ask you uh, in a second why we think that might be the case. But before we get to that, can we can you articulate a little bit about the, the different kinds of strokes, um, um, specifically, you know, atherosclerotic disease, embolic strokes, and, and how that might be also related to some of these age-related phenomena? You know, that's a great question because um, when we're talking about stroke, uh, I'm thinking just, just spontaneously, you, I tend to focus on the most common one, which is ischemic stroke. So, Schemic strokes, where a, there's a lack of blood flow to an area of the brain, is the bulk of them. So it's about 85, 80, 85% of all strokes. And then the, the other 15% of so are hemorrhages. So it's, it's not that there's a lack of blood flow, but actually there's, there's too much, uh, meaning an artery ruptured, and then you have blood where there shouldn't be. Kind of like a flood. The, the brain is flooded with, with blood where there shouldn't be, and that causes damage as well. Um, so these trends, and what we're speaking mostly about now is the ischemic type, where there's, there's a lack of blood flow. And, and that, that is mostly what has been increasing in young adults too. It's the ischemic type, not so much the hemorrhagic type. Um, and then what causes uh, the artery to, to be blocked so not, not enough blood flow can go through? There's different things. One of them, the most common form, is when there's just long-standing damage to the arteries um, the, uh, on the whole body, the heart, the brain, elsewhere, uh, from just what we call traditional risk factors. So high blood pressure is the most common one, diabetes, high cholesterol, tobacco, just damages to those smaller arteries. And then there's others, for example, if you have heart disease such as atrial fibrillation or some valvular disease, then you can get strokes from, from uh, heart conditions as well. Uh, so going to the different kinds of strokes, and we mentioned now the trend in younger people for more strokes, uh, is it the ischemic strokes is what we're seeing as a higher, uh, likely, a higher rate in younger people? Right. Yes, it's mostly ischemic strokes. And can we define why that's happening? What, what do you or what do researchers think? So we don't know exactly all the reasons behind it. Like many things in, in medicine, it might be multifactorial with, with multiple things acting at the same time. One thing that is notable, um, when you look, for example, this was a study that looked at the probability of having three to five of these common risk factors for, for stroke and heart disease that we consider you know, older adults, high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, those sort of things. And the, the prevalence, so the amount of people with more than three risk factors among males, uh, so we're talking about males, uh, from 2003 to 2011 and 12, it increased from 9% to 16% among 18 to 34-year-old males. Um, and then if you go to a higher age group, so 35, for example, 35 to 44-year-old males, that, that increased 
the prevalence of having three or more of those factors from 19 to 35% during that time period. So it's, and the same thing is we see for females. So what, what we're seeing really is this, this risk factors happening at earlier life. And that could be related to diet, lack of exercise, obesity, tobacco, all these other exposures that we may have. But I think that it probably explains most of it. Um, and then you have other things like, for example, recreational illicit drugs, some for which we can have tests, some for which we can't test very well. Um, so all of that, I think, plays a factor. So we don't want to instill fear in our listeners, but we want to give them information which gives them power. We do want to recognize that strokes are not just a disease of the elderly. So if you're having symptoms or signs, take it seriously, call 911. But going to the points you just um, well stated, um, the risk factors for other chronic diseases, cardiac disease, which includes obesity, lack of exercise, smoking, poor diet, um, are equal in terms of um, their, their risks for strokes. Yeah, and there's some things that you wouldn't know that you have unless you go to the doctor for your regular checkup. You know, especially young adults. Um, I'm going to add myself into that category and think that we're kind of invincible. <laughs> and that, you know, nothing's wrong just, with you. Just, and just, just you can do it all. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then you don't go, you don't get your cholesterol checked. You don't get your glucose checked. You don't get your blood pressure checked. And, and these things can just uh, creep on you without noticing. And, and they do damage over years. Um, so the only way that you're going to really know is if you go for your regular checkup. So speaking to my Ballywick, prevention, prevention, prevention. Don't wait for things. Um, identify your risk and prevent uh, the bad outcomes. That's, 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 that's a well said. Um, now let's bring it into some of the stuff in the news. Uh, COVID-19 certainly does not... Um, uh, uh, leave the neurological uh, neurological sim- uh, system uh, alone. Um, what have you been seeing on two accounts um, um, based on uh, your experiences? One is, have you seen at Baptist similar to what's been reported around the country of decreasing patients coming in through the emergency room with strokes? And if so, why do you think that's the case? And secondly, what are you seeing or what's being reported in COVID-19 related um, uh, factors towards um, uh, the strokes we're seeing. Right. So the first thing and the most important thing, uh, I think, is the, the what you mentioned first as well, which is what we're seeing is people are afraid of getting COVID or, or exposing themselves to COVID. And they're not coming to the hospital for things that they should come to the hospital. And that is affecting a much larger population uh, than, than what COVID is as it pertains to stroke. So the people that are getting are, and normally would get stroke in the community during this time period are having their stroke or their uh, TIA, so, so transient symptoms of a stroke, and they're not coming to the hospital to get the evaluation that, that they should because of fear. So our volumes in the hospital have decreased about 30% compared to earlier in the year and about 40% compared to the same months last year, and that has been seen across the nation. You actually just brought something up I want to follow up on for a second. You mentioned transient symptoms. So we tend to think of stroke as, as you said, the the lack of sensation, the lack of strength, the speech difficulty. What if someone has, for example, a half an hour where they can't move their arm, but it gets better, or difficulty speech, but it improves within an hour? Um, Obviously, we don't want them to wait the hour, but um, is that someone who should also be taking uh, their symptoms seriously? Absolutely. That's, you know, that person is being lucky that they're getting a warning sign uh, that blood is, uh, that artery is not healthy. And for whatever reason, blood flow is not getting to that area of the brain for a small period of time. And uh, 
we, there's some interventions that we have in the hospital that can help prevent the, the stroke from happening altogether and then having that disability. So we're, it's much better, obviously, if you can prevent the damage from any damage from, from happening rather than treating it acutely. We do have treatments to try to reverse damage if we do it fast, and that's another reason why you go to the hospital right away. But if you can prevent it altogether, obviously, that's, that's the way to go. Great. Um, now, regarding COVID-19, reports of young people having strokes. Um, first, is it true? If true, what do we think the reasons are beyond what we were seeing prior to COVID-19? Are there COVID-19 related things we're seeing um, in younger people, again, below the age of 50, let's say, um, related to strokes? Yeah. So thankfully, stroke is not a common manifestation of COVID. So most patients with COVID will not experience a stroke or TIA. We have seen that about maybe 3% or so, maybe upwards of 5% of patients that are severely sick with COVID in the ICU um, have had evidence of a stroke. Uh, But outside of that, and especially if they are healthier, the risk of having a stroke is likely very, very low. Um, Now, infections in general, and this is not just restricted to COVID, but infections in general increase the risk of stroke, but they do so to a mild degree, let's put it that way. So we're not surprised that there are some hospitals that are reporting um, some cases uh, of stroke and COVID uh, related, potentially related to each other, uh, and more so in young adults, because we know that infections especially in young adults, tend to increase the risk of of stroke to a mild degree. Interesting, and I appreciate that. And I think that's also worthwhile for the listeners and other podcasts. We've talked about paying attention to reliable news sources and not social media. So while the news may promote young people with strokes, and it does happen, it may not be something to be at the forefront of their concerns in terms of their their particular risks. Absolutely, yes. I do think that we should be all be able to recognize a stroke, just like, like we're well-versed in recognizing heart attack. I think maybe more education is needed towards that end. But it's not something that the people should be fearing in general, if, oh, I'm going to get COVID, and then I'm, I'm definitely going to have a stroke or something along those lines. Right. What, what can someone expect if someone uh, feels they're having stroke-related symptoms and they call fire rescue? Uh, what makes the, the, the stroke program that, that you, you, you help lead um, unique? What, what experiences can they expect um, to help them uh, minimize the impact of the stroke? Right. So I think we're especially blessed uh, in our community here in, in Miami. And um, the same may not hold true to, to all, of, uh, all of the communities, but we're very, we're very blessed in that we have quite a few stroke resources in the community and we work very closely with 911 and EMS. So if, if someone is having a stroke and they call 911, 911 will perform some quick stroke scales when they, when they go to the house And then they're going to determine uh, what level of service that person needs, whether it's a comprehensive stroke service center like ours that can handle all types of strokes from the most simple to the most complicated ones or a more mild uh, severity where you just need the closest center that can give, for example, a medication called Alteplase, TPA, um, to, to destroy the clot. And they will take you to the closest center that has that level of of, of solution of, 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 of um, care that they can provide. Um, so if they, if they come to our center, to Baptist, um, 
Baptist Hospital of Miami Comprehensive Stroke Center, we have a very well-oiled machine. I mean, we're able to, just to put it in perspective, the goal in general is to give this medication the alteplase when it's needed within 60 minutes uh, of the person arriving to the, emerg to the emergency room. We generally give it in about 20 minutes. Um, so, and we do that consistently on hours, off hours, weekdays, weekends, Christmas, New Year's. You know, we, we just have this pat down. Um, and time is brain, so we're, we're very proud. We're very proud of that. And if someone needs the, the vascular surgery, for example, to remove a larger clot that just can't be destroyed by the medication alone, we're able to provide that also 24/7 any day of the week. Um, so, so I think that's that's that goes down to to your question. You know, it's just reliable 24/7 uh, comprehensive care comprehensive team-based approach, which I think Absolutely. is what makes it unique. Well, again, you've, you've, you've uh, answered a lot of questions that I had and others have had, and you did it very eloquently, as, which I appreciate. Um, strokes do occur in young people. We're seeing more maybe related to a worsening lifestyle and a higher risk population. Um, we do know call 911 when you have those symptoms, face, arm, speech, time. I like that. Um, don't call your doctor and say, I think I'm having a stroke. Don't call go on the internet and say, I'm thinking have a stroke, call 911. Loss of something, I think, is, is, is a great take home point. Um, uh, anything that we missed? Anything you'd like to add before we, before we wrap up? I think, uh, I think you hit all the high, all the yeah, high points. I think I would just add just so, to people to, to understand that magnitude of effects. So we worry about COVID and its effects, rightly so. But you have to take into account that the risk of, of mortality, of death associated with COVID is actually quite low in general. It might be upwards to maybe 2 3%, probably less when you take into account everyone who's infected that doesn't come to the hospital. It can be higher as we age. Um, so, you know, maybe it can be up to 8 10%, maybe a little bit higher, 12 14% if you, if you are on the older, uh, more frail group. Um, but stroke is just devastating, stroke and TIA. So for young adults, Almost 40, 45% of those that have their stroke are disabled uh, a, a couple of years after their stroke, and they can't do things independently. Uh, and for older adults that have a stroke, the mortality can be quite high as well, 25, 30%, you know, upwards to a year or two after the stroke. So when you put things in balance, um, I know it's a concern to have COVID, but for things like stroke and heart attack, um, you just have to go to the emergency room. You just cannot stay home. Um, again, I thank you for that point, and we're doing a lot of communications to let people know that um, they will feel and see, they should feel safe, and they'll see the safety of visiting the emergency rooms and the medical practices based on the preparations and the distancing and, and various other things that have been put in place, so that should not prohibit you from getting taken care of. Um, a fear of COVID exposure should not prohibit you from getting taken care of if you need medical care. Um, again, Dr. Dillis Rios, I appreciate your expertise, your passion. Um, uh, you really um, uh, elevated our game in the Baptist system, which, which I and our listeners uh, appreciate. Um, and to our listeners, um, as usual, if you have any thoughts or ideas or topics, uh, suggestions, please write to us at BaptistHealthTalk at BaptistHealth.net. Um, thank you, Dillis Rios. And to all of you, stay safe and as best as possible, stay home. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.